You're listening to the Yoga Startup Podcast. If you dream of building a wildly successful and profitable yoga business and learning the business skills you didn't get in yoga teacher training, this is where you want to be. go-to space for yoga teachers seeking business and leadership inspiration so they can confidently build wildly successful and profitable yoga businesses. I'm your host, Julie Tower-Pierce. Today we have a truly exceptional and inspiring guest joining us. She's not only a yoga teacher, she's a visionary entrepreneur, the founder of not one but two thriving yoga schools, the mastermind behind a yoga kite program in the Dominican Republic, and the woman who put stand-up paddleboard yoga on the map in the state of Vermont in the USA. Today, we are honored to welcome Chrissy LeFevre, a woman who embodies a rebel spirit, boldness, and fearlessness in the world of yoga and wellness. Chrissy is not only an experienced yoga instructor, but also the founder of Grateful Yoga and Rise and Vibe Yoga, a virtual yoga school. Chrissy also has extensive experience planning, organizing, and launching sold-out yoga retreats and experiences in exotic destinations, including yoga kite camps for all levels. Our focus today is on planning, organizing, and launching yoga retreats. Chrissy is here to share her wisdom, experiences, and the secrets to being bold and rebellious in the face of planning retreats and overcoming both expected and unexpected challenges. Whether you're battling imposter syndrome, grappling with logistics, or dreaming of creating formative experiences for your students, you're in for a treat. So grab your yoga mats and get ready to dive into the world of yoga retreat planning with our fearless guide, Chrissy LeFevre. Welcome to the show, Chrissy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. So our paths crossed many moons ago at Yoga Vermont at a teacher training program with Kathy McNames in Burlington, Vermont. So I remember you in the front row of the studio when we practiced Ashtanga and we were learning the hands-on art of assist. And I was always in awe of you in the front row. I was like, oh my, she, she knows everything. She knows everything. She's a master already. So since that time that I met you many moons ago, you've gone on to do some mind-blowing things with yoga and with the business of yoga. So I'd like to just get right into this. Can you tell my audience more about your yoga background and your experience planning yoga retreats? Yes, absolutely. And so that is a huge part of my yoga background is training at Yoga Vermont. And I laughed when you said that about the front row, because I always said I was there because I was late and nobody ever wants to be in the front row. So part of being late is often you get put in the front row. I always felt that, but that's perspective. And <laughs> then I opened a yoga studio, as you mentioned, Grateful Yoga, which was in Montpelier, Vermont, and we've shifted to virtual since the pandemic. So that's the first business you mentioned. And then I did start doing retreats and yoga teacher trainings kind of at the same time in 2016 is when I started doing both of those programs, which were really passion projects for me. It wasn't a plan, like talk about rebellious. I, I never used that word, but it was definitely not a plan. So as far as bold would maybe be the word to describe it, but it was just something I always loved traveling. Like you have been a traveler and a lover of the world. And when you open a studio and start a business, you kind of lose that because you're invested in the present moment. And so that started in 2016. I also worked for a retreat center in the Dominican Republic for two years, which was really a cool hands-on way to be in the business and learn from a already established beachfront retreat center. I was their studio manager for two years and, and worked with groups doing that. 
and then, yeah, like you said, now there's a little bit of everything going on and, and I incorporate the water sports too, which is a huge part of my life, which has been since I trained in 2012, a lot has changed since then. So that, that love for the water sports did come from the Dominican Republic while I was working at the retreat center. That's where I met my husband who's Dominican as well. So there's a big vibe of being close to the ocean in my retreats, which is not a necessity for retreats, but that has become really important to me. And, and nature in general for my training and, and my yoga work has become really important. That's amazing. So, such incredible background and so pertinent for today for talking about retreats and retreat planning. What you were saying just made me think of, I remember going to your stand-up paddleboard yoga on Lake Champlain for a yoga teacher training. And that was such an inspirational class. I think it was with your graduation project. And so that is another thing that was just, again, like we, it was with Emily who was in training with us. We rented paddle boards to do yoga on them. Like we were like, that looks fun. We want to do that. And so we just did it. And there's like this strong, and that comes, I think from our teacher, Kathy, we were just talking about Kathy, this idea of like, if you want to do it, just do it and don't complicate these things. So I feel so grateful for that. And you, that's a great example of something like you said, now I'm known for that in central Vermont because there was just nobody else doing it, you know? Exactly. And for in Burlington, there were more people on Lake Champlain, but in central Vermont still today, there's no one really doing the program that I used to run there. No, yeah. it's absolutely true. I remember you were such an inspiration. I actually went and sought a paddleboard yoga training elsewhere. And one of my trainings actually took me to Canada because I was so desperate to find some sort of training. And that was just like in the fledgling days right after what you did. And, and then you put it on the map and you continue to put things on the map. So let's talk about your very first retreat you planned or or perhaps one that really sticks out in your mind. What do you remember the most about planning it? The first retreat I planned was in the Dominican Republic and it was the first time visiting the island. It was my first time traveling internationally in over eight years. So I had traveled pretty extensively before then, but a long break from traveling. And I had a group of eight women who came with me to the Dominican Republic, I've had the support behind me. And it was like all excitement on the first one. I didn't make any money. I lost money. I came back broke, but like happy. And that oh, I won't say has continued to be a theme, <laughs> but it's an important lesson to learn right from the get go. I think for me, it was in a many ways, the best retreat I've ever done. And in so many other ways, there'll never be another one like that. And I think that's true for kind of every retreat. The group brings its own energy. The location brings its own energy. But that was largely a group of Ashtanga yogis. So we all had the same practice and we already practiced together. And they came directly from my studio. And it was largely like I had the group before I even planned the retreat kind of setup, right. which is different. So you were able yeah. to talk from your community. 100%. I think one woman brought her sister, but besides that, it was all like direct student to teacher kind of connections, which was really cool. I think something that you pointed out there, obviously as yoga teachers, and if we're creating businesses and trying to grow and scale our businesses, we're looking to make money. We need to pay our bills and we're looking to do amazing things. And obviously we need funding for that. But you make such a great point as far as, even though you didn't make money on that retreat, you learned valuable things, I imagine. Yes, a lot of valuable things. Like, and this is, I put in my notes, budgeting is real. 
it's a lot different than like, there's just a lot that, like you said, expected and unexpected. The unexpected is you can only expect so much, but the unexpected is infinite. And so it's hard to plan for that. And like, you don't really want to think about budgeting when you're planning a retreat. At least for me, that's not where I want to go immediately for the first thing you think about, but it should definitely be the first thing you think about it. And then you have to think about it more than once as you go, because in the case of my first retreat, I had this group of people already, but every retreat after that, it was very much like you plan the retreat and then you get your clients to okay. come on it kind of thing. Right. So that's different. There's just so many variables when you come to plan a retreat that I never really thought of so that first one. For audience members who are looking to plan their first retreat and say they don't have a network or they don't have a community well-established, do you have maybe a tip? There are options to do what I did and work at a retreat center. And one really cool thing about that was that I was teaching regular classes. It wasn't just a retreat center where groups would come, but where people who were traveling would come to do water sports and yoga. And so there was a studio with regular classes and you get to teach to people who are traveling from all over the world and for all different reasons. And so that's not necessarily a retreat, but a way to get into the world and to have the same experience. And if you don't have the community, you'd need to work through an avenue like that. You know, like you'd have to go through a retreat center that maybe hires teachers to teach to a group of people, which I've also done that. Okay. Or piggyback on like a wellness company that's looking, maybe they focus on say nutrition in their retreats, but they want to hire a yoga teacher to come in and do the yoga and the meditation every day. So that's another kind of avenue to, to get your feet wet without, without all the budgeting stuff, Absolutely. right? In that first retreat or in your early retreats, a lot of people struggle with imposter syndrome. How did you feel? Did you feel ready? It sounds like in the first, you knew most of, or with the exception of one of those students that were coming, how did you feel? And how do you feel even now when you plan big retreats? I, so it's funny because you sent me some ideas of like the questions you were asking and in classic, my fashion, I was just going one question at a time. I didn't read it all the way through. And so I was like, oh my gosh. So for me, self-doubt is the biggest thing. And then the next question you go into talking about self-doubt and I'm like, oh, I already talked about that. For me, it's self-doubt. And it's, that's where, again, the yoga, the practice of the yoga and the study of the yoga has been so helpful because you mentioned, so I teach yoga teacher trainings is the other huge piece of my business. Now the yoga school, I come back to read the yoga sutras and self-doubt is right in there on the list of obstacles and distractions. And there's like, I forget, like maybe eight of them or something. And one of them is like laziness. And one of them is dullness. And one of them is self-doubt. It says it right there. And I'm like, oh, this isn't like unique to me. You know, this isn't some me problem. This is human you know, this is being human. And so I laugh at it now, which again, is something that I always channel my inner Kathy, my inner teacher, and she would laugh. She's a, a laugher and you got to laugh at yourself and say, you know, even today after teaching for 12 years and doing retreats for now that I'm looking at it, seven years, still having those feelings. I was doing airport pickups. <laughs> At my retreats in the beginning, I don't do that anymore. I was like waiting at the airport for, I don't know, hours for people to arrive. So there's a lot that I learned through doing 
but that doesn't work for everybody or every group or every retreat or every venue, like every place is different. So I deal with the self-doubt and I use the yoga to deal with it. And that's my biggest obstacle. Everyone will have different ones probably, but I go back to the yoga and, you know, you just got to say like, okay, this isn't something that's going to stop. Like this is just probably something I'll experience at different levels for the rest of my life. I think that's true. I think this is just life and you're right. It's self-doubt. It's a common thing. I mean, I'm not sure you ever master it. You can always improve. You can focus and face your self-doubts and your insecurities. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. So we touched on this a, a bit, but what strategies have worked for you as far as marketing, promoting your retreat, and also just attracting new faces to your retreat? So that's what's really cool. And as far as strategies, I think you have to be consistent and open at the same time, because you'll always get people who love your retreats and want to come back every year, but they won't. And you'll always get the other side of that spectrum where people will come on one of your retreats every year for the rest of time. So you'll get both ends of that spectrum. And so on one end, you're like, okay, I don't have to really market to some of my people anymore because they just want to come. Like once you put yourself out there, that's what's beautiful about it. However, I have not once since my first retreat just had it like sell out in a minute, you know, so there's always marketing. And I would say every retreat has always brought a new face. So personally, I've really narrowed down my marketing strategies, what I would call them to I use Instagram as my social media. And that's it. I do Facebook still, especially for my retreat, you look at your demographic and the people who are coming on your retreats. And I do find that people who are maybe their kids are like grown, or maybe they're retired, people who come on retreats tend to have a little more freedom in their schedule. And that's not necessarily just people who have kids who are grown, like I'm one of those people who doesn't have kids. But you learn more and more about your audience and your retreat members, the people who are showing up for you as you go. And so I still do a lot on Facebook. I would say I mostly strategize through Instagram and putting my information out that way. Newsletters via email, I do. And then you get people from Google every once in a while. Google searches really work, which always feels like a win, but also this idea of like, who's coming on my retreat? So you still have that big question mark and that self-doubt there. And then I always do an early bird. So that's a thing you see with retreats is to try to get people to sign up ahead of time. Usually you're putting deposits down on venues and stuff. So you have overhead before you even have revenue, which is challenging. And so those are really like the things I do every time. Like I'm all over social media. I always have an early bird discount. I'm always sending it out to my newsletter. So the people who know me, know me, they can sign up and that's about it. That's absolutely great. That's very insightful. Now, just hitting on something you said here. So if someone from the audience is listening and they've just launched or they're about to launch a retreat and they don't get signups right away, is, is that cause for freaking out? Okay, this depends. Not for freaking out, never freaking out, right? That's never the answer. But there's a great example that I'll use for my current training that we're talking about in Bali coming up in November. You were asking me about this one. Yeah. Training was scheduled for last year. And I postponed it a whole year, mostly because of the crazy floods that were in Vermont this summer, which totally upturned my summer training. 
and all the classes I was going to teach in person got canceled because everything was flooded out. So I kind of lost this three month period where I was leading teacher training, which had to be done virtually instead of online because of the flood. And then all of a sudden I was like, Bali is in three months and I have no one signed up and I don't even feel ready to go. So that was the moment of real, like, you have to look at the timeline and the gap and be honest to yourself and say, okay, I don't think I even advertised it. Like I was in survival mode too. So every circumstance is different, but there will be times you might either cancel or postpone for sure. In your experience, was that a tough call? And do you think that sometimes it's a tough call? Obviously you need to weigh all these different factors and circumstances, but internally, is it a tough call sometimes? Does it feel like a success or failure? How do you work through that? For me, it's always a tough call because of the self-doubt factor, right? So everybody, we all get through it, like whatever it is, whether it, there was one retreat that I did lose a deposit on that I never went on. So I did have that experience that's like out the door. And that was a while ago. And it's always a tough call, I would say 100%. But I think that's business also, which not trained professionally in business school either. But I think anyone who's ever run their own business has always had to make tough calls. Absolutely. Then you see it through the other lens. So now I'm like, okay, now everybody, we have a whole extra year to plan for Bali, you know, which is how much time you need. Let's be honest. We talk about turning lemons into lemonade. That's great. Totally. totally. <laughs> so good. Let's talk about how do you measure the success of a retreat? Is it looking at it as a transformation? experience for your students or what is your measure? Is it actually the bottom line, like your bank account balance? Yeah. I mean, not yet that it should be your bank <laughs> account balance, but yeah, that same idea about strategies, like it's good to be consistent, but it's also good to be open because there will be the unexpected, right? Is going to be infinite. And those will also be gifts. They won't just be challenges on the unexpected side. So there's always clients who sign up last minute and I love these people and they'll, as little as two days before like a three-week training is starting and I'll be like are you for real you know and they are for real and I love that so like those are amazing that's a great place to be but success for me it's funny because I had been talking about this in yoga teacher training a few weeks ago and I wrote a blog post on success in 2000 and, and defining your own success and that was one big thing because the bank account has never been it for me or my family like it it's part of how I was raised so like we never had a lot of money so it was never about a bank account for me which is interesting when you go into owning your own business. But what you see, then you measure like, okay, somebody found me on Google. This feels like a success in the world of Google, which is the whole world, as far as I'm a concerned. Like if one person can find you by Googling like Caribbean yoga retreat, that's a huge win. It is a huge win. And on the same side, I would say some of my most challenging clients have been ones who don't know me. And haven't met me before and haven't been to one of my classes and have found me out of the blue randomly challenging clients. These will also show you some new obstacles of people who, you know, maybe have 18 dietary restrictions, which I don't want to discourage anyone because we've handled this well and we've gotten you through your 18 dietary restrictions. But that's a, going to be a challenge, not only for you as the person with the dietary restrictions, but all the people in the line dealing with it, which is not just the retreat leader. There's a lot of people involved there. So you sign up for retreats. It might be someone's first retreat. It might be someone's first time traveling internationally or alone. 
I get a lot of things like that. So there are all sorts of things that can come up when you look at success and you're like, oh, this is successful. And then like, it comes back to bite you or something, or it'll just throw you another challenge in the future. And so I think, I don't know, happiness, I'll go back to Kathy. Back. What would Kathy say to judge your success? <laughs> world peace. How much world peace are you promoting in your daily life? We talk about embodiment. Are you really living the yoga that you teach? So I think those are how you measure success. I can hear Kathy saying this. Yes. World peace. Yeah. For sure. And then your actual clients, you'll get wonderful, positive, reinforcing feedback from your clients as well. So that's a fantastic thing to fall back on. Like they were there, you know, they experienced it. And most of them are going to have a fantastic time retreating with you. You know, I wanted actually to ask you a follow up on that. After the retreat, do you ask your participants to give you any type of feedback or to leave you reviews? Do you do this? Yeah, always. And not from the beginning. That's something I started doing more formally as I went through because it's fantastic fuel for your next retreat. And you won't be able to remember it all because you're going through it as it's happening. So getting the feedback once, but having it written down is really valuable because you can revisit those months later or weeks later. And I don't ask for feedback only about myself and the retreat, but also about the food and like the beds and about the venue itself, the travel, the schedule. So right now I do, I ask for feedback all the time. I can imagine at times it's quite inspirational to read that feedback, especially if you found yourself in a situation when you're in a retreat and it feels like you're really at times dealing with some challenges or having to go with the flow and then to see that feedback at the end and to be like, I did it. Wow. Look at the experiences these people took back with them. And it, it must feel quite rewarding. Yeah. And there's always good critical feedback too. You know, not all of the critical stuff is good, I would say, but some of it is like something really simple in one of my teacher trainings about how long the lunch break was or something. And I've incorporated that ever since because I was like, that's actually a really good idea. You know, whereas other ones like meditation after dinner, I'm like, no way after dinner, we're done. (laughs) I will not ever add anything after dinner, no matter how many people suggest it, I am done after dinner. (laughs) So I love it. So if you're looking at a yoga teacher's overall business strategy, their business growth, since you really built your businesses from the ground up, how important do you think retreats are in terms of offerings and financial success? I say that they're not important at all, to be completely honest. I think that it's interesting when you do, because I've done quote unquote, all of it, I guess now from studio classes to online classes, to teacher trainings, to retreats, workshops, you know, working for other people, working for myself. So I've kind of seen it all, but it is, I would say one of the biggest overheads you see if you're doing it the most traditional way is like you put down a deposit at a venue that hosts retreats. That's the most traditional way you do this. And you sign a contract and there's often a minimum number of people. It's gotten more like this in the last 10 years, I'd say more standardized process and it can be expensive. So I think you need to really, I would say, have that community. Otherwise you're dipping your toes in these other alternative ways to get involved in retreats and travel and think about what is at the core of the retreat that's bringing value to your business and to you as the business owner, right? And so for me, because you will have 25 people telling you to do 25 retreats in 25 (laughs) different locations and you'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it all sounds good, but 
you'll have to kind of filter through and figure out exactly what will work for you and your business. And I would say, which is not my norm to wait until you have the money to invest in something and figure out a budget that's going to work within that first because you can lose a lot of money on a retreat and that doesn't feel good. You put in a ton of effort and a ton of energy. You're working 24 seven during those retreat days. You know, you like wake up at night thinking of something you forgot to do kind of thing, like remembering something you still have to do in the future. So I think that really making sure it's a decision. And now people do mini retreats, a half day retreat, a day at the spa. There's a lot of ways you can do it where you don't have huge overhead. So just keep that in mind, I would say. Yes, absolutely. I was going to ask you, so what's your take on a backyard retreat or, you know, a local retreat? I mean, is that viable? I think it's awesome. I think it's great. I think I wrote a blog post on making your life a yoga retreat and waking up every morning, like you get to have a warm beverage, you know, this is a gift, a moment of retreat, you know, these or journaling or like these little things you can put into your day to make it more like the idea of taking a retreat, a break is really important. And I think of great value. So I think you can get that in many different forms. I will say on the other side, where I do a, your kind of classic week-long retreats, but I also do the three-week immersive teacher trainings. Okay. I will say there is something about immersing yourself in a, a space and a time with that intention. It's also taking yourself out of your norm, right? So it's removing your regular routine, your regular stress or relationships or what obligations, whatever it is in your life. It's the removal of that that also allows that space for, I'll call it transformation. I don't love using that word because it doesn't feel like that for everybody. And it doesn't necessarily snap up into place. One of the other obstacles is my favorite also where you lose ground gained. You go on a retreat and everything feels easy and good. But then when you step back into your quote unquote real life, can you maintain that energy? Like that's the real challenge. And so I will say there's something to really experiencing that fully and giving yourself that gift and that time. Like those of us who have done teacher training, we feel it in the like, I'm going to sign up for yoga teacher training and you do it because it's going to be good for you, not necessarily for your business or your future or your career, but for you in this moment. And I think that really comes through in a retreat where you get out of your normal, where you don't have to get in the car and drive home, you know, at least not right away. You get on a plane first and you have that decompression time, but the decompression time is real too. If you look at nervous systems and the way we operate today, like you do need that much time to really get out of it. As we get closer to the end here, is there something that you would like to let other yoga teachers know or to inspire them if they're dreaming about hosting a retreat or if it's something that they really want to try. Any parting words, any bit of advice here? Totally. Everything I said already is on point with that idea of thinking about what's at the core of this retreat. Is it traveling to a certain location? Is it being together with a certain style of yoga or a certain intention? So I think having a really clear vision of, of exactly the question why you're hosting this retreat. And I'll reiterate the budgeting thing, because usually, again, especially if you're a yoga teacher at a studio and you don't have your own business, this is going to feel overwhelming. So budgeting is important. 
There are tools that you can use. You can reach out to me anytime, or you can go through a retreat center that does this for you and will give you a per person kind of ticket price. So there are ways to help you with budgeting. Don't ignore it. And maybe even over plan, like maybe explore a few different avenues or options before you land on one, keep that openness to it, but definitely just again, do it for yourself first, your own budgeting first for your business and then go from there. Because if you're not limited by location, there's really so much you can do. Like whatever you're thinking is possible beyond possible and just don't get overwhelmed by it. Do the planning, do the work. It'll be fantastic. Whatever you decide to do for sure. Such great advice. And budget. Yeah. I really value how you talk about doing it for you because I think in business, it's so easy to get lost with the numbers and what we need to do to, to get where we need to be that Sometimes we can forget about our purpose and why we started and why we're doing things. So I think that what you said is so incredibly valuable, really stepping back and thinking, why am I doing this? And talk to your community, you know, not necessarily your students, but the other people, you know, who have led retreats or who have gone on retreats, do your research that way too. read the Google reviews, you know, and get opinions. I would say the more research you do, the more you'll feel confident before we go can you please talk about your upcoming retreat of this retreat that's yes. been a year in the making? I have a stacked schedule for 2024. 2024 is feeling really good and full. And so I've got a bunch going on and I'll just rattle them off. March is coming right up. And March, we have a retreat in the Dominican Republic, which is your standard one week. It's yoga and Pilates. So that's a collab with a friend that we do every year. It's also in the Dominican Republic. So there's a theme there for us because that's like home for me. And that's a yoga teacher training, immersive, intensive, 200 hours in May. And then in the summer, I'll be in Vermont. I don't have dates planned yet. We'll do some paddleboard yoga. And then in the fall... There's a chance of doing a classic like foliage retreat in Vermont. That's the only thing I haven't planned yet. And then we do have Bali coming up in November and it leaks into the first week of December. It's three weeks in Bali. And that is a dream. This is the thing you get to check these things off your own dream list. So Bali has been a dream of mine. Talk about somewhere that's saturated and has a lot of opinions from travelers and yoga practitioners alike. I've done a lot of research. I almost decided not to go to Bali because of all the opinions about too much of this or too much of that in Bali. And I fell in love with this retreat center and I have a great relationship with them via email. And we're going to be there starting November 12th for three weeks of yoga teacher training. I'm really looking forward to getting to know the people in Bali and they include some traditional ceremony at the retreat center that we will be staying at. So I'll Balinese cooking, Balinese chef. So that's, I'm really excited about that. Obviously there'll be a new one for me as well. It's been a while since I've done a new location for me because we have been kind of riding on the, the Caribbean for a while, but we're going to the other side of the globe, which will be very exciting. Sounds like an incredible adventure. It sounds exactly the way to live and the way to experience and live and breathe yoga. So it sounds wonderful. Chrissy, where's the best place to find out that retreat information? Yeah, so Grateful Yoga VT, as in Vermont, is my website and my Instagram. Rise and Vibe Yoga, also website and Instagram. That's for my yoga school. So Grateful Yoga with the letters either Instagram or website. Rise and Vibe Yoga, and that's the, the yoga school. 
same thing, Instagram or website. Chrissy, thank you so much. It's been an honor to hear everything and to reconnect with you as well. So thank you for being here and for sharing your experiences about yoga retreat planning. And that wraps up this insightful episode of the Yoga Startup Podcast. A huge thank you to our fearless guest, Chrissy LeFevre, for sharing her expertise and inspiring us all to embrace boldness in our yoga retreat planning journey. Remember, the path to creating unforgettable retreats starts with overcoming fears just as Chrissy has shown us today. If you found this episode valuable, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your fellow yoga teachers. Stay tuned for more empowering conversations. And until next time, breathe deeply, teach boldly, and keep shining bright. Come learn more about the business of yoga at The Yoga Startup, www.theyogastartup.com.